This is the WellTech Podcast with Galit Horowitz and Amir Al-Roy. Hello and welcome to the WellTech Podcast. I'm Galit Horowitz and I'm joined by my fellow co-founder at WellTech Ventures, Amir Al-Roy. Hi, Amir. Hi, Galit. So in this episode, we will hear from Ben Enosh, serial entrepreneur, co-founder, chairman, and president of Antidote Health, alongside Karine Belfeder, co-founder and CTO. They will share their entrepreneurial journey in the health and wellness field and their intriguing personal and professional backgrounds. Antidote is disrupting the healthcare industry and is changing the lives of many Americans who can't afford healthcare. WellTech Ventures is proud to have led the investment round in Antidote that is impacting the 40 million uninsured Americans. Hi, Ben. Hi. Hi, Karine Bell. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. So tell us about yourselves. So hi, my name is Karine Bell. Uh, I'm, as you said, I'm the co-founder and CTO of Antidote Health. Um, I come from background of cybersecurity. Uh, I've been in the military industry. Uh, in one of 8200s units subunits and uh, uh, we did uh, some we had some action over there and uh, after a few years of uh, commanding uh, f- quite a few soldiers uh, we've I've decided that uh, offensive and cyber is not uh, something that I want to continue doing and I want to create things. Uh, so I left the military. Didn't you receive the Israeli Defense Prize <laughs> for your activities? I worked on there? a project that did. Um, and after my military service, uh, I started working in startups. I started more in the low-level and cloud uh, blockchain uh, areas, industries, and I led projects. And during that time, I also uh, managed with friends a Baot community. Uh, which is the biggest community that I know of women in engineering and uh, technological research fields. Um, and th- this is something that was very significant in my life and I'm very pride- proud of. Um, so I also man- so I managed this uh, community as well and um, it was very significant also for my own career and I met a lot of, Uh, amazing women in different um, companies in the industry uh, we started forums of CTOs VPR and D's um, um, leading engineering positions in Israel um, and after a few years in the industry and uh, managing bought uh, I decided that I wanted to do something new that I wanted to get to Um, my hands dirty with creating something new from scratch and I searched for partners and this is how I met Ben and Avichai and David and um, we kind of um, we were brought together by a really strong belief that people deserve to get health care in a price that makes sense to them so this was this resonated really strongly with me and uh, here we are There are two other partners of ours uh, that are not uh, with us here. Uh, Avichai Sudi, the CEO of the company, uh, he resides in New York. That's why he cannot uh, join us. He comes from the background of uh, public uh, health. 
he managed all the innovation in uh, Lumit HMO, after which he co-founded and was CEO of a company called uh, Vectis, which was a, a huge success in the space of uh, malpractice uh, all around Europe and in Israel. It was sold to Swiss Re uh, for several hundreds of millions of euros in uh, 2019. And uh, David Zlotnik, who is our chief medical officer, he used to uh, manage and was the chief medical officer of an organization called Terem, which was one of the larger organizations for community health uh, in Israel. And together uh, with the, th the three of them, I joined uh, with my background, which is in uh, physics, bioengineering, after which I co-founded with CEO of a company called Scientific G in the medical devices space, after which I co-founded an organization called Sayota, which was sold to RSA security in the cybersecurity space. After that, I took some time off uh, to do some uh, nonprofit organization. So I uh, was the founder of an organization called Acharay uh, Labagut. Returned back to the tech scene, uh, was CEO and co-founder of an organization called Play Media, now called Edge 226 in the ad tech uh, space. About seven years ago, I replaced myself as CEO there and uh, spun out uh, some of our technology to a company called AudioBurst. And for the past three years, the four of us have joined together forces to build Antidote. Okay, great, interesting. Um, so because you're here, we'll concentrate on you, <laughs> Karen, Bell, and Ben. Um, I have a question for Ben. You, you, you said you founded and managed a few companies uh, in the past, not uh, necessarily, necessarily related to health and wellness. What made you this time to shift into a company that, is, you know, that does uh, wellness and health in a very broad and global level? So uh, there's a certain point in time where you're, you've accomplished enough uh, financially or to, to support yourself and your family, and uh, you're looking for that extra, that extra thing in life. And usually what drives uh, myself is uh, I wanted to make a difference. Uh, and an antidote health provides a, a path to make a huge uh, impact, both on the uh, US healthcare system and, and maybe even globally. So we, we strive to become the largest HMO in the world by within a decade. So that's our impact. Okay. Corinne Bell, you also came, as you said, from uh, mostly from a background in 8200 and, uh, and bought. And the same question for you. What made you, you know, shift into wellness and health? Um, so for me, I feel like it was, there were two parts to it. Uh, first of all, um, like I wanted to, on, on the feminist area, I wanted to lead by example. So for me, it was very important that women will be bigger participants in the entrepreneurship world, in leading, uh, in technology, uh, in the technology world as CTOs, as VPRNDs. Um, so for me, it was also a big step in pushing my friends to do this these steps uh, and see more women in this area um, Randall, how many women are like leading uh, or leading tech positions now in antidote so i think we're about 60 percent of women oh, in wow. leading positions yes this is really important for us um and i think it should be important for every company Every research you'll see shows that diversity within an organization makes it a whole lot more successful. Um, 
this was w a big piece for me. Um, and regarding healthcare, I really searched for to build something that I strongly resonated with. So at that time, you would see a lot of blockchain startups and a lot of, uh, in Israel, you also see a lot of um, um, marketing-oriented startups and obviously cyber-oriented startups. But like for me, I really wanted to, to wake up for something in the morning and say, this makes a difference and this is something that is really important for me to achieve. And I think these kind of goals really hold you for years um, rather than just be another thing that you do every day. So We can, we can connect to that, <laughs> to Wealth Adventures. Um, can you tell us a bit more about um, Antidote Health, generally speaking? Give us like the elevator pitch of, of the company. I usually guide them to Ben. Ben, please do. <laughs> ben, ben, please do. <laughs> so, so we do come with, with, a, with a, a set of beliefs, and one of them is that uh, quality healthcare is actually a basic human right. And it so happens to be that about uh, 38 million Americans do not receive that basic uh, human right. So we're there in order to facilitate uh, that capability. We're doing it through a process of building a virtual HMO. This would be the first uh, virtual HMO that exists in the world. It could only have happened, obviously, post-COVID uh, era. And by building that uh, digital platform, which provides uh, total healthcare to, the, to that population, we're actually enabling the reduction of costs significantly in such a way that we think that we could drive down prices down to about 50% of their existing costs. That enables a much wider range of the population to actually enjoy premium-free services due to the fact that there's subsidies uh, provided uh, in the U.S. government to the population. Our costs are below the subsidy uh, range, therefore, they actually the premiums uh, are fully provided by uh, by the governments and that's how we're trying to build a revolution into the american healthcare once we've built that uh, hmo in the box we're actually exporting it uh, to the rest of the world but this would take us a few years why do you say it's the first hmo like aren't they or any the first digital H hmo yeah so so there uh, there hasn't existed any fully uh, digital hmo uh, yet uh, in the U.S., uh, definitely that's uh, the case. There might be another country that we haven't heard of uh, just yet, but most of the OECD countries, for instance, uh, they have uh, the infrastructure in place. There is a, there's, there's a small chance that uh, any of them would uh, have a new HMO born within uh, the last two years since the COVID hit. Have you taken any aspects of the healthcare system in Israel to, uh, to antidote? Almost... Uh, Almost in every aspect, uh, we've uh, enrolled ourselves into processes that we've, uh, we, we are inspired by the Israeli uh, health system. The Israeli health system is phenomenal in its uh, capital uh, needs. It's a very, very um, low-cost uh, health system. So if you compare it, for instance, uh, in comparison to, uh, to the U.S., about 7% of the OECD, of, sorry, of the GDP in Israel is uh, diverted towards health, if you take per capita. Uh, on the other hand, in the case of the, the US, it's uh, close to 20%. We're talking close to 90% uh, of, the, of the GDP is uh, diverted towards uh, healthcare. 
So, so there's a lot of things that can be learned from the Israeli system. Um, there's a, several other uh, mechanisms that are very familiar to us as Israelis, and the fact is that 100% of the population is actually covered through an HMO model, which means that both the payer, the entity that pays for your bills when you go to the hospital, and the entity that takes care of you is the same entity. In, in Israel, it's the, what we call the Kupat Cholim, uh, so it's obvious that uh, when you're referred to a hospital, the, the, the HMO pays for your bills. At the end of the line, in the U.S., it's a very small percentage of the population actually enjoys that structure of a payer and provider bundled together. So there are a few examples. Kaiser Permanente is the prominent one uh, with over $100 billion in uh, intake. But that being said, it's a v they serve a very small population in the U.S., maybe less than 5%. Altogether, all the HMOs. Wow. Okay. Um, so Israel is a great country, then, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we we believe that it's a it's a great country. We were just ranked uh, number four in happiness or fifth. Well, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it happened over continue. the weekend. We didn't ah, know wow. that either. <laughs> well, we are survivors. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about it, healthcare is a very uh, fundamental um, component of your freedom. And for happiness, you need to enjoy freedom. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so if you take that component out of the equation and suddenly you tell a person, listen, if you decide to move from one job to another, you're not necessarily going to enjoy the health coverage that you had before. Or maybe you're not going to have being your health coverage at all because not all the employers have to pay for, for your coverage in the States. Only, only those employers that have uh, more than, than 50 employees then suddenly you have a decision to make, whether you want to move to your to the new job or stay. Maybe you want to be an entrepreneur who's going to pay your, your bills. So you make another decision, whether you want to stay back and uh, stay in your day job a little longer. Uh, so when you think about it uh, as part of a startup nation, you could see the component of a, of a safety net when it comes to our health and that it doesn't have anything to do with who employs you and anything to do with how much uh, money you earn, the fact that you have that safety net provides you a lot of, of places to free yourself of uh, making decisions economically, uh, geographically, where to live. Yeah, I feel like we really take that for granted in Israel. So there's a lot of talk about AI. Um, how do you see the role of AI in Antidote? And then in general, like the, all the data that you collect in Antidote, what do you, have, you, know, what do, you do with that? What's the value of it? So, so there are many aspects to AI. There, there's how the user perceives us, but there's also how it meets our professionals, right? So, um, so basically, today we see a lot of adm advancements that meet a lot of the customers. You can open, open AI and just uh, ask ChatGPT questions about how to solve your, uh, how to fix your oven. Um, but it's pretty different when you meet the doctor. You expect the doctor to be an expert, and also there are um, very there's a significant cost to making a mistake, and there's also a lot of regulations around how you can use AI. So for us, AI today is a tool to recommend, to guide the doctor, to give him all the knowledge that he needs to do his job as to the best of his ability 
and to be also as efficient as possible. Because as Ben said before, efficiency is really important when you work, when you try to, um, to, to save costs on health care and to incentivize your patients to take care of their own health. So our main efforts are to utilize AI in order to guide the doctors to help them to prevent them from doing mistakes and also to find ways to approach the customers and ask them um, to take care of themselves to the best of their ability. Um, as we see that taking care of your own health is one of the significant ways to reduce costs and also make your your life better in general. Uh, so this is an this is an amazing tool and being a digital first company is a huge way for us to collect data that up until now um, standard HMOs wouldn't have. So usually when we feel bad or we we want to seek care, we go to see our um, our primary physician, our family doctor, we see them personally. So most of the information in this session is not recorded, not documented. The doctor will document only the things that are essential to that visit. But for us, being digitally first, it's an amazing way to collect as much information as we can from our, from our users, from our members, and be able to give them more care than they actually seeked. So even if they come over and say, like, I have a stomach ache, it's a great opportunity for us to see what's their general health situation and help them make sure and make sure that they take care of themselves. Historically, um, wellness and health were two different sectors that were not connected. And lately, let's say the medical the medical uh, sector is embracing wellness. So words like self-care, prevention became very much exposed and important. How do you see the role in Antidote, you know, that, that convergence between wellness and health? So uh, we as a carrier, that means that we are the insurance company and the provider of uh, healthcare, we bear all the costs. So from uh, financial, pure financial incentives, we have all the incentive in the world to make sure that the wellness and healthness of our uh, population is the best possible because our just our bills are are just lower so we take a, the approach that says preventative care is the number one uh, topic that we need to issue so that that's where the most of the savings at the end of the day would come down the road when we're talking about uh, years ahead and we plan to stay here for, for several decades. So for us, from our point of view, it's totally uh, an obvious observation. The second thing is the more, uh, the more uh, medical care is uh, improving and maturing in the, in the, from the technology point of view, you see that the uh, wellness side of things, which is a lot more holistic and looks at it as a, as a whole and not as a symptom, or as a treatment for a certain uh, type of sim a symptom, becomes more and more uh, a, a wide, wider portion of the of the treatment. So, from our point of view, the more we can get the uh, wellness uh, and wellness uh, protocols into the lives of our patients, 
We, we were both financially incentivized and it's better healthcare for, for our patients. You also see that it's just connected, right? Like you, you would see patients that come and they have, say, an, a hypertension issue or diabetes issue, but they wouldn't take care of it before they solve a mental health issue or a wellness issue. That's like a barrier for them to take care of themselves. So if you don't look at the great at the whole picture, you you don't really manage to solve their problems. It's not it's not a simple box, right, where you put a solution and then everything is fixed. You need to sit to look at the whole thing and see what's stopping people from taking care of themselves. Yes. Do you think that in general, like the healthcare system in the United States is embracing wellness and words like self-care and prevention? So the, the financial structure is the opposite. So you're incentivized to provide as much care as possible as a provider. So obviously when you're incentivized in a certain way, it may, would make sense that you would look at it from that uh, perspective. So I will we'll give you an example of where uh, Karinda was talking about uh, a holistic approach that we have. Um, depression uh, illnesses cost in general in hospitalization about twice the amount uh, of care in general of uh, what you'd pay if you're stabilizing the mental health state of a depression uh, patient. So in our case, what we do first is try to stabilize the depression and get him under, under some kind of medication or some kind of treatment that he could survive uh, the uh, later on treatments that uh, would come about. And that's just that direct uh, action, which, which can take several weeks, immediately drops down the cost of care by about 50%. How, how focused are you in mental wellness? Is it, is it an area of interest in antidote? So chronic illnesses is the number one topic that we are covering. Chronic illnesses means that people are, continue, are in, in a state of illness for their life or for, many, for a long period of time. Uh, the behavioral health issues are the most significant ones when it comes to, uh, to treating, stabilizing, or providing care in almost any other dimension of health that you want. So for us, it's the number one uh, chronic illness that we gave, uh, we gave service to. We have hundreds of patients uh, through our mental health services that we give today. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on, uh, on the mental health and behavioral health altogether. And the dividends, uh, both financially and from the quality of health of our patients, is seen almost on a daily basis. Super important. Um, what's the upcoming major trend in technology that you see in wellness and health, in antidote, but also generally speaking? Maybe on top of AI or related to AI, but not only AI. <laughs> so technology in general, in most cases, what you see is that uh, from the invention of fire all the way to the invention of the, of the press, you see, or the printing press, you see a t it's, a it's usually a tool where it uh, usually provides a lot more power to the providers of or using that tool. So humanity enjoys a flat screen TV that we could have bought for $10,000 a decade ago, we can buy it now for 100 bucks, pretty much. So you see it in many cases of technology entering, technology entering into a certain field. Where are the fields that you, do, you usually do not see it? It's fields where 
or markets where the regulator is very harsh or very um, creates a lot of friction for the technology to go in. Healthcare is one of those areas where you see a lot of friction uh, by the regulators for good reasons, but it creates a lot of uh, delays in the process of entering uh, technology into, the, into that space. What that means is if we've seen in the late 90s, we've seen a revolution of e-commerce and uh, we've seen all the media going from, uh, from analog to digital and we've seen the internet uh, flourish. In the case of healthcare, it's stagnating. So it, it hasn't changed much uh, since the re digital revolution. But nowadays, due to the change in the, the COVID, suddenly you're starting to see a lot of beginnings of treatment and they're infiltrating more and more areas of uh, healthcare where the treatment is done from afar. You can get more uh, in a, a, a wider range of experts coming from a lot of uh, different areas. You could get the best the doctor in the world now to communicate with you, with you uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. You're seeing databases starting to being connected. There's still a lot of financial incentives and regulatory in, uh, uh, friction points in the system, but you're starting to see these uh, these uh, alignment of interests between the different uh, stakeholders within healthcare. So that's the the major trend uh, that you're seeing in health with uh, healthcare in the last two years. Uh, we're part of it. We've taken it one notch further than anybody else by actually owning the entire value chain of the healthcare. So when you think of it, uh, the value chain is built through, there's a customer, there's somebody that he pays money in order to get to cover his health. And then at the end of the day, you have a provider that provides that health. So we actually control all those three uh, stakeholders in the ecosystem. Uh, we did it because we couldn't figure out a way how to uh, get the frictionless uh, service to our patients otherwise. The first thing that came to mind for me was um uh, so more and more devices today get FDA approvals, um, which is pretty new. Even like Apple watches have, I think, only one FDA approval out of the several tests that they provide. Um, and it's very much related to what Ben just said, that like the uh, medical industry lags behind after industries. And it is exactly the regular regulator that stops it. Again, for good reasons, but only now you can see, even only in Israel, you see so many startups that have that get more and more FDA approvals for medical devices, for new technologies that allow people to take care of themselves at home and just communicate it to their doctors. So I think specifically in wellness and healthcare, this is, they're now getting their approval so like the next thing is to just give the access to you the feel people. it's the right you feel it's the right timing for for antidot how optimistic are you in that sense i th like very optimistic why not like for me every <laughs> device every device we, we really hope that you are also <laughs> <laughs> as your investors <laughs> yeah so like it, i think that every device that will allow us to collect more information about our patients if, and give them better care through it is amazing and those startups that like they're like mushrooms right 
all over the place there are new ideas of how to collect this information about patients and how to allow them to communicate with their physicians in a more significant way. So, of course, we would be super happy that it will keep going and we'll be able to utilize it and communicate all this information to our doctors. So at Wildtech Ventures, we're proud that we were able to connect you to a very famous sports figure that later became an investor and an ambassador. Can you elaborate about that a little? Yeah, so <laughs> you're talking about Yannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, we're very, we're very excited to have him on board. Uh, he can he communicated through you guys uh, that he wanted to participate as an investor. Um, we later on followed up. He since he became an investor, obviously he wanted to promote his own asset. So now he's uh, working uh, for us on a several year program, uh, promoting. Uh, the services that are uh, provided by Antidote. Maybe there are some people that are not don't know the name. So g- give you know give a sentence so, about him. So Yanis Antetokounmpo is one of the top three players in the NBA. Won uh, several, uh, won one championship and won the MVP uh, two years ago. Uh, so he's a very significant uh, power to the marketing uh, efforts that uh, we have. At Antidote, uh, we've seen it in several cases, specifically when we had uh, Hurricane Nicole uh, hitting the Florida shore base. There was a significant outreach by his uh, by his calling. Uh, he has uh, more than 14 million uh, followers just on Instagram. So we immediately saw a surge in the amount of service being provided uh, through the Nicole. There are several. Uh, services that we're providing in the state where he's coming from, uh, which is Wisconsin. And uh, we've done uh, several efforts in the mental health space, which you were asking before, uh, that he's promoting. And uh, we've been working with him and his team for the last half year, and it's been a very, very exciting journey with him. Healthcare is a human right. So when I hear stories about families, parents, mothers not able to take the kids, get some medical attention, uh, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, it's deep into the heart because that was my mother. That was my father. Yeah, and we're happy to be able to connect him. So let's get a bit personal. Um, let's start with Ben. Ben, it's not every, not, not every day you, you meet someone that swam from Cyprus to Israel, won uh, a Guinness uh, world record, then swam in the Dead Sea to, to increase awareness, uh, to preserve the Dead Sea. So, and I know you are uh, an amazing athlete. Can you maybe share some similarities between uh, keeping um, such a, such a, I would say, a daily uh, routine and um, swimming, running, cycling, then all those uh, competitions that you attended or challenges and a life of, of an entrepreneur? So I think... Personally, I think that those journeys have lots of similarities, but I'll be happy to hear from you. So first of all, thank you for the warm words, um, (laughs) for the kind words. Uh, Generally speaking, all these events, there were several uh, international events that uh, we organized. They're always for a cause. They were always for a cause to create impact. So the swim from Cyprus to Israel was to uh, bring to attention the amount of pollution that there is in the Mediterranean. 
the case of the of the the crossing of the Dead Sea was in order to uh, bring to the attention the fact that the Dead Sea is actually shrinking in a very very significant manner. There were several other events. Uh, there was a shark swim against the hunting of sharks or killing of shark of a hundred million sharks a year, which on the South African uh, borders. And there were several other political uh, swims that uh, that we've done. All of them come from that same point that uh, has driven uh, Karin Bell and uh, and the team towards a creating antidote and that is to to make an impact and uh, we use our bodies as swimmers in order just to promote it because it's a little more exotic in a sense and you could uh, get attention so the idea of of doing events that are uh, significant is in order to receive the attention that is needed in such a crowded area as we have in the media today And on, to- and on top of doing good and impact? So, first of all, these projects usually take a very long period of time of planning and preparing for them. So every event that you just mentioned would take us about two years. So in some cases, it's longer than two years. You need uh, rescue teams. You need uh, support. You need to get the, the team in shape. You need, you uh, need, you need to good, do you need internationally good in some cases. So there are a lot And a good doctor. And you need, obviously, and you need always a doctor. Uh, uh, to be with you on the teams. So uh, in the case of the Dead Sea, for instance, there was a whole research that was done attached to the swimming or p- staying in such a high salinity for so many hours. So there's actually a health uh, aspect to it as well. So uh, the organization of such events d- does take a long time as, as it takes uh, to build a startup, specifically in the healthcare side of things. And on the more personal side, um, today we're, we're actually experiencing a period where, where there's a downturn to the economy, specifically high-tech uh, startups are, are suffering and bleeding more significantly uh, than the incumbers. Uh, when you are participating in events of that sort, you kind of re- revert into the the time of now so you're all the time occupied with the now it starts it stops becoming a strategic decision it stops becoming you don't look very far you look at the day-to-day tasks and if you look at the task list that the uh, Karin Bill for instance has or a uh, David Zlotnik or a uh, doctor have you'll see about fi- uh, 500 lines of different uh, activities that have to be done in order just to launch uh, an HMO in one state in the US um, That uh, methodious, methodious uh, work and the ability to know that you have a goal and you have a timeline that you have to reach it is something that uh, is occupying athletes that are doing uh, these such types of events because it's a grueling, uh, a grueling procedure of day-to-day waking up, taking another task on yourself or training for another day and then uh, waking up the next morning and doing the same thing again and again, solving problems. Being patient, not giving up, et cetera, Being a et cetera. fighter. Being a fighter. So, Karin Bell, your turn. <laughs> As a woman founder myself, I appreciate what you're doing in uh, Baot. Uh, in Wildtech Ventures, we also have 50% of uh, women founders, by the way. <laughs> so what made you initiate uh, Baot, a group that is focused on women, mentoring women in Israeli tech? Um, so... 
so I'll start by saying that I very much resonate with what Ben just said. Like eventually you wake up in the morning and you have a list of items to do. And then you go through them one by one <laughs> until you're done for the day. And then you go to, whatever, to do whatever you do. Um, and for me, Ba'ot, uh, so Ba'ot started as a friends group, right? So we were a, f- a group of women in the tech industry. Um, most of us came from a specific unit. We all had technological background and experience. And we felt very, I'll say, lonely in this space. So we would go to meetups and we would be the only woman in the room. And we actually, we start, we're called Ba'ot now, but it started as Ba'ot L'Artsa'ot, or coming to lectures. So uh, one of one of my best friends, Daphna Ronsenblum, she, she kept talking about it and she started this face, Facebook group with all of us friends and we kind of started saying hey I'm going to this lecture I'm going to this meetup I'm going to this conference who's coming with me because we wanted to be professional in the space we didn't want to be the woman the female professional the female engineer we just wanted to be the engineer the the tech lead the the group lead the CTO whatever it is we just wanted to be professional in professionals in our fields so we started going together to these events and then eventually we and we thought it was just our problem right we thought it was just like our friends group problem but then suddenly we were 100 and we were 200 of women who just wanted to to neutrally participate in the tech world and advance their careers um and then at some point we realized that the group is made of really like interesting women, like women in different technological fields, women with different experiences, with different projects that they've been working on or leading or starting from scratch or whatever. And we said we could learn from one another. So we started to have internal meetups ourselves and then we started to realize what are the biggest problems so uh, one of the problems that was that we didn't know how much money we should ask like going to interviews how much money should I ask when I go to this to this senior position to this management position to whatever so we started the first program it was like it was about helping women find a really good job but with a salary that fits the market and it got so big so fast and and then we started to push ourselves to more and more places um so we started to speak at conferences and write technical blogs and then we found out that we have a lot of management technological management among ourselves so we started forums of tech leads and uh, team leads and group leads and then suddenly we had VPRNDs and CTOs and like we kind of um, I think women are tend to be very communal so we share a lot of knowledge and we help each other understand how we can better be better at what we do so 
it was very natural for for us to to grow to this capacity and also it became for me um like an ocean of people that I want to work with so suddenly I'm so aware of women in the industry who are super talented super smart mod- motivated have an amazing experience um and were also inspiring for me in different phases of my career so it became so easy to say oh i know her she's so talented i want her to be our vp engineering i want her to be engineer in our team i want her to lead all the data science in the company so it's just became natural so like when you look at it from the side i think for uh, i'm still amazed right because from the side it's it's super impressive right we we made we created a a community which is thousands of people who kind of push each other forward all the time and make the industry better but like at at the personal level it's just like an opportunity for me to work with my friends and be inspired and do things that i enjoy so this is how the community is for me yeah. you should be yeah. proud yeah. very proud very i am proud of the talent that how we many ma- hired uh, were actually came through the baot network um you had several of them right the, yeah, the top tier cool. talents that we yeah got. i think all the technological leadership in the companies from baot oh wow and quite a few of the members of the engineering team of Yeah, that's very impressive. For me, it's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when do you think that like women will no longer be considered a minority, and the salaries will be equal, and we'll see, you know, fifty percent of women in conferences and meetings? And so, it's a big question, right? I right. I have no idea when. I I just know that the industry is very different than what it was five years ago and ten years ago. So, like on day to day basis. We still see a lot of things that boil my blood, like a lot of really annoying phenomenon of I wouldn't say, <laughs> but a lot of uh, management that doesn't behave as I think management should behave, or opportunities that are taken away for no good reason, not related to talent. Um, but I do see the difference between how the industry industry was five years ago and ten years ago to today. So it really makes me optimistic because I know that even though I still see a lot of this stuff, it moves forward really fast right now. And I think it's also important to remember that women are not the only minority in tech. So we have specifically in Israel, we also have uh, people of color, Arabs. Um, religious people who are not participating at their at the percentage that they could and I think creating diversity is a responsibility that managers and leaders have um, so I think it's important to remember that those are our minorities that are also people A part of our population that is our responsibility to bring in and give the opportunity at the same at the same level right we don't need to like people are talented 
I think we can hire just as talented people and just open the door to more people and we'll find amazing talent. I agree. About regarding your question previously about the AI, the AI is actually democratizing from many cases uh, the, the space of talent because it promotes a lot of people that they are less experienced and brings them immediately to the level of a very experienced person, which means that since we have less experienced uh, women in the, in the field, it immediately promotes all of them and uh, other minorities and other uh, groups in, the, in society to a level where they can become experts within a manner a very short uh, period of time. So just one more question. Karin Bell, what's your wellness routine? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I do Pilates twice a week. Nice. That's nice. Good. Um, and we just got... Um, a treadmill <laughs> and we put it in the middle of the living room which i'm not sure is good for my it's mental it, health it's the best location yeah i i don't know if it's good like the i don't know if it's good for my mental health that it's in the middle of the living room but we actually use it so we walk at least like 10-15 minutes oh, every day great. we just go there and we walk while we talk to each other so Maybe that's something I should do, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea. Yeah, but you have to bear in mind that you'll have a treadmill in the middle of, of the, the living room. Oh right. my God, this is difficult. I, I got that. <laughs> we, have a, we have one of our executives called Yahel. She joins all the meetings while she's on the treadmill. So uh, all the conference meetings, the video conference. So you see, are you seeing like, the bodies moving <laughs> in a certain pace? That's great. It's a good idea. Thanks. We'll make it happen. Get it. That's it for this episode of the WellTech Podcast. We'd like to thank you, Ben. Thank you, and it's an honor to be a partner of yours. And Kareen Bell. Thank you much. Thank you for having me. Our producers and editors from Shema, and you, our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this one, and please subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you hear our future episodes. We invite you to learn more about what we do at welltechventures.com. I'm Galit Horowitz for me and Amir Al-Roy. Goodbye and be well. Thank you, Galit. Be well.